0: Hello. And Welcome to Clash of the Titles, the podcast that sees two movies with something in common go head-to-head to to see which one does it better. And welcome to part two of this week's Space Skirmish. So on Monday's episode, Flash Gordon proved that space is full of all kinds of sexy weirdness. And today, we keep the weird, but no sex please, were Marvel. Yes, in 2014, the bigwigs at Marvel Studios unleashed their strangest superhero team-up Yet, and despite featuring characters no one outside comic book land had heard of, everyone bloody loved it. From 2014, it's Guardians of the Galaxy.
1: I come from Earth, a planet of outlaws. My name
0: is Peter Quill. There's one other name you might know me by Star Lord. Who? Well, Star Lord, man. Legendary Outlaw. Guys. Forget it. We will have a champion at the end of the show. But which film will it be? Let's find out. It's Clash of the Titles. Release the Kraken. Hello, Clash Clashbutters. They crumpled my pants into a ball. That's rude. They folded yours. I'm Alex Zane. I'm
1: Vicky Crompton. I'm
0: Chris Tilly. Your frowning expression. Rocket, Rocket says it. Oh, Rocket says it when they're leaving the kiln. I know. Thanks, V. All right. So very quickly, I'm going to do it at the start of the show. If you haven't subscribed to us already, please do subscribe to us on Apple, Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. And as a massive favour to the three of us, do just give us a little rating or a review if you've got time. It's hugely beneficial to the show and we are eternally grateful to you when you do that. So thank you in advance. Uh, also, very quickly, Chris, remind us what's going on in January.
2: Yeah, send us your suggestions for pairings, please, to show at clashpod.com. Tell us why you want the pairings. Tell us a little something about your interest in these films. We've already had, I'd say, about twenty emails and so many good suggestions. There's so many January's gonna be amazing. Yeah. Um, so yeah. And if anything else you wanna say?
0: if you just want to talk the pod is yours for January basically (laughs) we're handing the whole show to you you are picking the movies that we are putting face to face for January and we want to know exactly why you want to do that if you want to moan about Deep Impact defeating Armageddon (laughs) on Clash of the Titles email us yeah. we might read it out have you got my email it's long <laughs> it's long show at clashpod.com for your emails and just before I forget because I am wont to forget things uh, we are also on Instagram now so if you do use the gram uh, then you can find us on there at clashpod as well right then back to today uh, these were Chris's choices Victoria was our intergalactic guy through Flash Gordon on Monday so today I'll be your tour operator for a trip round Guardians of the Galaxy Oh, let me take you on a journey. After rude child Peter Quill refuses to take his dying mum's hand, the dick, he gets his just desserts by being kidnapped by aliens. Now an adult, he's grown up into a un who makes his money stealing things that don't belong to him and forgetting the names of his sexual partners, the brute. But when the universe needs a hero, can Peter step up and... With the help of a group of miscreants who are also looking for redemption slash revenge, take on a religious fanatic with a big hammer and stop him destroying a planet of nice people. But more importantly, can Peter learn to hold someone's hand like he didn't do with his mother? Seems to be the arc the film's going for, but really the arc is him getting a buzz from someone actually calling him Star-Lord. Ladies and gentlemen, for your consideration, Guardians of the galaxy so here we are a thief two thugs an assassin and a maniac but we're not going to stand by as evil wipes out the galaxy so histories with this movie victoria
1: i went to the cinema to see it um in 2014 which is when it was out Mm and i haven't best seen it
0: best
2: time so. best time yeah
1: really good time to go to the <laughs> you cinema you don't want to go early yes yeah, it's, le- it's less embarrassing actually if <laughs> you turn up and the film is on i have found i was interested to watch it a second time because i wanted to know if i <laughs> if i cried as easily this time round and the answer is yes amazing yeah <laughs> this makes you cry yeah oh good yeah. it makes
0: me cry as well mm. chris yeah emotional
3: yeah it's emotion. a
0: tearjerker of a movie yeah. chris when did you see it
2: Uh, well let's go back a little bit Uh, I visited the set of this one in 2013 Mm -hmm. and it was I know you did as well Alex we can talk about that it's not a competition (laughs) (laughs) Um, but yeah it's got
1: so much history (laughs) together
2: no it was it was very exciting you know some set visits are better than others Mm -hmm. and this was an exciting one because no one knew what to expect from this film you know, I was a big fan of James Gunn's horror films, but him doing superhero movies sounded strange, and then I didn't know much about the characters and they were always everyone was talking about this different tone and this was going to be a new, you know, this was gonna be a space opera rather than a superhero movie. And so yeah, and it was I had such a brilliant day and it, it was like I had this cool secret. I wasn't allowed to write about it for about six months, and it was like come back to the office and tell everyone if they get this right, this could be amazing. This could also be terrible. But if they get it right, you know, they're talking about Peter Quill being like a cross between Han Solo, John Bon Jovi, Martin McFly and John Stamos. And I'm like, I'm there. <gasps> if, if Chris Pratt gets that right. And yeah, it's just seeing all the actors as well doing their thing. It was it was unique
0: and new and original and fresh. What were they? Do you remember what they were shooting when you was it Long Cross? You went to Long Cross Studios.
2: Yeah, I, I, the, the scene I went to was when they first walk into the dark aster. And there are all these lights like dragonflies kind of flying around them, lighting the way. And then it's this really beautiful moment that Drax spoils by calling Gamora a whore. It's quite a funny moment. (laughs) It's a great Um, moment. But yeah, and it was also, it was interesting watching Dave Bautista. I think I mentioned this on another episode about how him beating himself up because he kept, Messing up, yeah, and he just felt like he was ruining the film when we spoke to him. He just said, I feel like I'm out of my depth and I'm ruining this. And it was, but when he got it right, it was so good. <clears throat> so, you know, and obviously, the final performance is fantastic from him. So, yeah, so I was super excited to see it, and then I I, I loved it when I saw it. So,
0: I was uh also at Long Cross on a set visit, uh, not a competition. Uh, I saw the attack, uh, by Ronan on Nowhere, so the set was absolutely huge and it was one of those set visits where it's just great like everyone's in a great mood there's no egos people are just having fun like we were interviewing chris pratt uh just standing with all the action going on behind him like people getting ready for a scene and james Gunn just walks through and he stops and he goes hey it's that guy crip pratt hey i know this guy and you're like this is great the director and the star having a little bit of banter on camera we loved it <laughs> <laughs> Look, sometimes you go to these sets and people go stand there and don't talk and don't move and don't make eye contact with anyone. But this was a it was a really good atmosphere on this set. Everyone
2: seemed excited because they were doing something slightly different. I think all, you know, it was all the a lot of the same people are behind the scenes on the Marvel movies. And I think they're excited to be able to create something new in terms of the spacecraft and the planets and all, you know, mm. go to places they haven't been before.
0: I remember when I first saw when Marvel released the concept art for this and they put one of the pictures of the four guardians, uh Five Guardians, in um, Empire magazine and it I remember looking at it going, it just looks nuts. This looks absolutely nuts. And that got me really really excited and uh, what also got me really excited was researching this movie and going through the Wikipedia page for Guardians of the Galaxy uh, there's a tiny photo of me interviewing Karen Gillan of uh, course cool at the, uh, cool the, <laughs> the premiere uh, in Leicester Square there uh, in Leicester Square just me very small very small could have made it bigger <laughs> well, I know what <laughs> film's winning this week on our Alex- list <laughs> uh, bottom line though I must have watched this film about 10 times I love it it is my second favourite MCU film of all time
2: Oh, what's your first, Alex?
0: <laughs> oh, thanks for asking, Chris. My favourite MCU movie of all time is Avengers Infinity War, okay. which is basically a Guardians of the Galaxy movie. Yeah. Right, Uh A little bit of backstory then. Uh, Kevin Feige said uh, about making Guardians. uh, We wanted to do a space movie and we love the Guardians comics. Just a ridiculous pairing of a tree and a raccoon. It was before Star Wars came back with a vengeance. It was like, let's try and make a big space movie, the kind of which hasn't been around for a while. So this was after Ant-Man had come out and Doctor Strange had come out and they realised that the audience was with them and they could start going places as Marvel Studios that perhaps they hadn't dared to go before. Uh, The first draft of this was written, I I have to admit, uh, to thinking James Gunn um, wrote this film uh, entirely himself. Uh, But actually, um, a woman by the name of Nicole Perlman spent two years uh, writing a draft. She was part of the the program where they bring in screenwriters to Marvel and then they let them pick a project. And she says Marvel was surprised that she actually picked Guardians of the Galaxy, uh, though she did. And she created this draft. Um, rewrote it a couple of times. And then James Gunn comes on board. Uh, He beat out a couple of other directors who'd also expressed an interest in this. Peyton Reed, who'd go on to direct Ant-Man, and Anna Boden and Ryan Fleck, who'd go on to direct Captain Marvel. So Gunn rewrote the script entirely because, in his words, it didn't work for him. Uh, He kept using the Dirty Dozen as a reference point. Uh, what he does say, he says in the Cole script, everything was pretty different. It's not about the same stuff, but that's how the WGA works. They like first writers an awful lot. Yeah, and good. He, by the sounds of things, I've never seen. I've not. I don't know if anyone has. I don't know if it's it's out there. I've never seen Nicole Perlman's first draft, so I don't know what was kept and what wasn't kept. Mm. But by the sounds of things, James Gunn sort of just wiped the slate clean and wrote the movie he wanted to make. Uh, well, that's how he would put it. Obviously, yeah. <laughs> um, I,
2: I, I, I do feel like she's been um, written out of history a little bit, though, mm-hmm. in this respect, and so. Um, she, yeah she's one of my MVWs actually just to spoil that okay. not, not not the M one but yeah I feel
0: like she's well, I think she's gone she's uh, she's got a connection with um, a very close friend of yours um, Fede Alvarez <laughs> uh, we all know that you occasionally drop Fede a text uh, that he has he replied not yet but
1: there's <laughs> it's, 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 it's only been a year
2: there's no like hurry that. he's That's busy nice. he's busy he is you know he's busy he's been making movies we've been in
0: lockdown he's making movies yeah 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 I'm not saying that it was a year ago uh, on this show when you did text him <laughs> Day. <laughs> Day. Uh, but uh, as far as I can tell she's working on the Labyrinth sequel that he is uh, directing she's um, she's writing that um, uh, although they don't get a credit uh, the script was given a polish by uh, the highest grossing screenwriters in the world Christopher Marcus and Stephen McFeely who have written Captain America Civil War Avengers Infinity War Avengers Endgame they're a big deal. And Just Whedon was involved as well mm. in, the, in the writing. Yes, he was. Um, in terms of casting this movie, a uh, lot of people uh, auditioned for the role of Peter Quill uh, Joel Edgerton, uh, Jack Huston, Jim Sturgis, and Eddie Redmayne, as well as Lee Pace. Eddie Redmayne. I can't imagine it. That makes me feel sick. And not everything. Just because he did Jupiter Ascending. Don't you have an impression? I'm Baron Greenback. (laughs) (laughs) He would would have brought something different to this. (gasps) I'm going to get you, Jupiter. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But Chris Pratt auditioned, and James Gunn says of this, uh, he wanted him, and Marvel were ballsy enough to back me when I wanted to hire him. I love them forever for going with me on that. No other studio in the world would have ever taken that risk. Uh, He also says he's worked on independent movies where he's felt under more pressure to cast a big name than he had on this film so it's interesting
2: I think I've got a quote from James Gunn from when I was on the set which I I think is interesting in hindsight but this is what he said about that casting he said I I didn't want to see Chris because I didn't think he was the right for the role I knew him a little bit from Moneyball and I knew him as the chunky guy from Parks and Recreation Mm. then finally I agreed to see him he came in and he was probably at his chunkiest (laughs) he'd gained a lot of weight uh, for a Vince Vaughn movie but he read and 20 seconds into it I knew he was the guy Chris brought his own personality to this character that really fit the words perfectly everyone else I thought would kind of get run over by Robert Downey Jr. if they were ever in a movie together to have somebody who could inhabit the role in the same way who could take I think that Chris could completely hold his own and exchange barbs with him and then
0: kick his ass and so that's come to be yeah and it's absolutely true 100% yeah although I think he holds his own at best with Chris Hemsworth mm. as Thor. <laughs> you got an impression coming? No, I was going to do <laughs> <Sure> <laughs> on. I am not impersonating you. <laughs> it's so good. Uh, uh, the only other really interesting <laughs> bit of casting that didn't come to me uh, as Drax, they considered Jason Momoa, oh. which would have been interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, the trailer of this movie, do you remember seeing the first trailer which had hooked on a feeling in it? <gasps>
1: I must have done. You
0: must have done.
2: Otherwise mm.
1: I wouldn't have gone to see it.
2: Uh, I probably spent about a week analysing it doing the job I was doing at the time. Yeah. <laughs> this is why I d- I'm not a huge fan of trailers. It's because <clears> I spent about five years having to analyse them for days on end and write these articles and it's, it drives you up the wall. Like
1: looking for clues? Yeah, or? yeah. Okay.
2: Analyzing every little second and every moment and line and... Oh.
0: Well, uh, the uh, after it debuted, uh, Blue Swedes hooked on a feeling, the sales of which uh, went up 700% after the trailer debuted. <laughs> um, uh, Gunn says, again, uh, he loves Marvel and Disney for having faith in that trailer because there was a really generic trailer that they were considering releasing uh, because it tested better, but they went <clears throat> against testing? They went against their focus groups and released that trailer. Uh, Any more on the backstory of the creation of Guardians of the Galaxy? Right, shall we go through the movie? Mm. Uh, okay, uh, so uh, massively heartbreaking opening. Uh, pre-titles se- uh, sequence says uh, Peter's mum dies uh, from cancer, uh, telling him that he looks like his daddy who was an angel composed. <laughs> but she goes
1: like, she's like, take my hand, your father... He was composed entirely of light. And they're like, all right, Meredith, enough. <laughs> they're like, do you know they seem a bit embarrassed? They're like, have you got a present for Peter? Stop going on about angels.
0: <laughs> Very different, though, watching this start once you've seen Guardians of the Galaxy Volume mm. 2. Have you seen Guardians no, of the Galaxy? No, I haven't seen it. Mm. So, well, that's interesting then, because you watch this and you go, who's this father? Yeah. Wow, he was Peter's mum loves this guy. He was an alien He or something, but he was not here anymore. Uh, It turns out that his dad is played by Kurt Russell. Yeah, He's ego. He's a massive dick who (laughs) actually put the cancer in her that kills her. No. Yeah. No. That's the big twist in Guardians of the Galaxy 2 because he loved her and realised that he couldn't complete his master plan in the universe if he didn't kill her. So
2: he gives her cancer. Yeah,
0: (laughs) Okay. Mm.
2: And that is a dick move, making him a massive dick. That's one of the worst things you can do.
1: Yeah, it's it's up there,
2: isn't
0: (laughs) Mm. it? Yeah, I mean, if... Um, obviously, it would be the worst thing to do. If, like, If your partner is bothering you and you're trying to do a bit of work and you go, okay, cancer.
1: And I tried to fill in the gaps. I was like, oh, who's his dad? Oh, I know it's Kurt Russell. and then, But I don't know the story. So I just thought, oh, when they had sex because he was some sort of angel being, it gave a cancer. What?
0: He, he came cancer
2: again. <laughs> yeah, 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 that's
1: what I thought. A baby and cancer, that's what I thought. I it's mean, like-
0: cancer seems like the worst. Like, what if you... If you were being bothered by your partner, but you could give them sort of like a mild illness. Like, like a ball worm. Like a ball worm. <laughs> or like if you just sort of gave them the flu for a couple of days, just so you could get something finished. So they were just in bed with yeah. a headache. So, yeah. they yeah. go, so they just shut up <laughs> for five minutes. <laughs> yeah. Flu on you. Flu <laughs> on you. And then they've got flu. Um, so he's uh, he runs outside. He's all distraught with his little walkman. And he's kidnapped by ravagers. Uh, cool. Cool. Uh, Very cool shot of the ship floating above the young boy. I love that shot. I think it's really cool. Uh, Fast forward 26 years. We meet an adult Peter in a brilliant, brilliant title sequence. Uh, Dancing to Red Bones, Come and Get Your Love. According to James Gunn, they were going to use Hooked on a Feeling for this scene until he found Come and Get Your Love, and he said it worked a lot better. Um, What do you think? Of this sequence, I just remember seeing it, and going, "What am I watching? This is new." Yeah,
1: exactly. It's our feeling, that and it's um to connect all this crazy universe, which is obviously really hard to like get a, a handle on, to Earth via music and via the Walkman is a brilliant mm. idea. And so, for the first, for well, the first time I saw, it, I was like, "I'm all in. This is a brilliant way to do this." And second time round, because you know what to expect, you just have a good time.
2: It eases you into the film's tonal shifts. As well, which happen all through the movie, and and it sort of introduces you to this mixture of ancient and futuristic technology mm. and vistas, and also, you know, having seen it in the cinema twice, it gets such a big
0: laugh. Yeah, him dancing around to that, it's, <laughs> people are pissing themselves.
2: It's yeah. really, really funny. It's, so and
0: picking up picking up the tiny little rat lizard yeah. and singing into it is an inspired moment. It's really good, um, and yeah, it is. It's I mean James Gunn himself says it's all about reminding you that even though you're on this big outer space adventure, like you say, this is a human guy who Mm. has grown up in the same world as all of us. Something that's never talked about, but I think it must have been a conscious thing because for me, hooked on a feeling you immediately go Reservoir Dogs, Reservoir Quentin Dogs. Tarantino. Yeah. Yeah. Like yeah. I did not know that song before the Reservoir Dogs soundtrack and Quentin Tarantino. And I'd argue that cinematically, in like cinema language, everyone who hears hooked on a feeling goes Reservoir Dogs, mm-hmm. Quentin Tarantino. So I think they've chosen that on purpose because it basically wraps that cool around this movie of a bunch of criminals who spend a lot of time yeah. bantering and bickering and putting each other down like Reservoir Dogs. I think that was intentional. Yeah, maybe so. I yeah. don't, James Gunn is too cinema literate to not have gone, oh, well, shit, yeah. people are going to think of Quentin Tarantino. He's going to go, yeah, and I want that. I want that kind of Tarantino call in a Marvel movie. And also, I mean, it was easier
2: to get certain songs on the second film than the first film. Um, he says that he's got... Uh, a list of 500 songs that Meredith loves from that era mm-hmm. to pick from when he's making these Guardians films and and with this first film some of it was who, who they could get the rights from for mm. a certain, you know, particular amounts of money even though it's Marvel they're not going to play through the nose for certain songs so for the second film he's got
0: more expensive songs Well this movie went over budget and I was thinking I bet a lot of that went on getting some of these songs because you've got some huge Huge songs, mm-hmm. especially at the end, they use like thirty seconds of the Jackson Five "I Want You Back" mm-hmm. and like "Ain't No Mountain High Enough" by Marvin Gaye. Those aren't cheap; mm-hmm. those are not going to be cheap songs. Um, uh, apparently, they played a lot of the songs on set as well, uh, oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, well. Pratt was Pratt was saying he absolutely hates the
2: music in this film because this is being, it, being the hipster that I am, no, I'm never being the hipster that I am. I have got the LP of this soundtrack, and that's mm-hmm. probably the LP I've listened to the most the last ten years. But um, yeah, because he decided that he wanted to put himself in Peter Quill's Place, so Peter Quill only has these songs to listen to. So for the duration of this shoot, Chris Pratt only listened to the songs that are on Peter Quill's Walkman, and it said it
0: just destroyed his brain.
1: No, it a nice way to spend your time.
0: I used to do that on I, when I found a song that I loved as a kid. For example, I went on a French residential with my school, and I took one C ninety with me. Mm-hmm. And on both sides of that C ninety cassette, I had recorded off the radio, so the start and the end of the song were missing. So the middle portion of Shampoo's Trouble. Oh and I listened to it on repeat for a, about a week. So uh, you
1: think you were on a French residential, but you were in a deep programming, <laughs> what, what's it called, MK Ultra. That's what you were up to.
0: <laughs> Love it. Uh, the Wartman thing, though, it wasn't going to be that. Kevin Feige said for a long time he wanted it to be um, toys, a toy Darth Vader that uh, Peter had with him as the connection to Earth.
1: That played music.
0: No, no, no. Oh. It, it was like, there, there was, it, it was until the Walkman idea came along and James mm. Gunn fought for the Walkman idea and then that brought the whole music oh. with it. It was going to be, uh, he thought it was going to be really cool that Peter was uh, collected Star Wars toys and then he found himself on the ship with aliens and one of the aliens picked up a Darth Vader toy yeah, and was like, what's finished. this? <laughs> yeah. It's, yeah. But the Walkman <laughs> thing went out because it's better. Uh, we meet our villain, Ronan, a religious fanatic who wants to wipe out the Zandarians and their culture. Because they killed his dad and his dad's dad and he gives this massive speech uh, which is <laughs> thankfully punctuated by him smashing a guy's head in with a massive hammer which is good. Marvel have created some great villains. Thanos, Loki. They also have created some really, really, really rubbish villains. Uh, Malekith from Thor The Dark World springs to mind. Whiplash, Mickey Rourke and Iron Man 2. How do you feel about Ronan? Rubbish.
1: Hmm? He's overshadowed by Karen Gillan she called Karen Gillan mm. massively she is think about the amount of makeup she's got on and the prosthetics and whatever else is going on and those huge contact lenses So you can't really see much of her face as a human and she still manages to convey a very wide range in that that sort of overshadows Ron and whatever he's up to massively
0: yeah i think there's something interesting about what he wants to do like be like <sighs> sort of a religious war against the Kree or something. But yeah, he's Mm. overshadowed. He's overshadowed by that and the fact that Thanos turns up. This is the first time we meet Thanos in the MCU, Mm. uh, played by Josh Brolin. Um, And James Gunn actually does say, the most difficult thing to do in this film was introduce Thanos. He he thought that having Thanos be in a scene with Ronan was more helpful to the MCU Mm. than it was to Guardians of the Galaxy. Yeah, it was forced on him. He felt like he had
2: to shoehorn it in. Mm -mm. And yeah, he didn't like doing that scene at all.
0: Yeah, the only way he said he solved it was to have Ronan kill the other, you know, the vizier uh, that Mm. is there. he kills him because we've seen that character before be very powerful, even with Loki. And Mm. so for Ronan to kill him shows you how powerful Ronan is. Uh, Then we meet the rest of the Guardians on Xandar. So oh, we meet Gamora, daughter of Thanos. She's trying to get the orb. Then we meet Rocket, who is the greatest character in the Marvel Cinematic Universe.
1: I knew that you would have a soft spot for him. I love him. Is it because he's taking the piss out of a baby when you first meet him? <laughs> that is really funny, though. Yeah. He doesn't like babies. No. Well, see, it's about his, It's about small things, isn't it? Like Call Stanley
0: a prevert.
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, um, I'm a huge fan of Rocket. And I argue, I, and I will throughout this podcast, argue that the greatest relationship... On screen in this film is Rocket and Groot.
1: I don't disagree with you. The, mm. Some of the most of the emotional weight, not most, that's unfair, a large portion of the emotional weight is carried by two CGI characters. Yeah. That's amazing. And,
2: and then losing Groot later, it transfers onto Drax as well. I think you start seeing that between Drax yeah. and Rocket when mm. Groot is yep. gone, which is really moving as well. But yeah, Groot are Dutch for large. Oh.
1: I think I knew that because of beer. <laughs> 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 I've definitely been in a bar. <laughs> but but what, what's interesting.
0: About
2: I want Groot. <laughs> Groot, that. <laughs> but what's interesting is when I went on set, and I'm sure when you went on set, we didn't we know who set. was going to play. I didn't go on set, sorry. We didn't know who was going to play Groot or Rocket at the time. And so that was really interesting. What a different film it would have been if you'd, or would it have been that different if you'd cast different actors as the voices of those two characters? Mm.
0: Vin Diesel turned up to the premiere on stilts. Um, because he plays Groot he voices Groot yep. in the movie so he turned up on stills wasn't very good at them uh, very dangerous a lot of scared faces from a <laughs> PR team as he literally nearly went through the hoarding into the crowd <laughs> just wobbling around but but Gunn said that, that Groot didn't really
2: come to life until Vin Diesel started doing the voice I think Gunn, Gunn was doing the voice originally James Gunn does a lot of this stuff before they bring someone else on He's, he dances as baby Groot and things like that but he just said it was just completely transformed that, that Vin Diesel has this magical tone to his voice which I guess you hear in Iron Giant as well it's such a big part of that character
0: yeah and I will say this to this day. I know Bradley Cooper voices Rocket. I cannot visualize Bradley Cooper as Rocket mm. is speaking. Do you not find that strange? Can I you? Heard... I, it doesn't sound like Bradley Cooper. You can't hear the voice and go, oh, "It's Bradley Cooper." No,
1: because he does it in a different. He uses. I don't know why I know this. It's from another podcast, which I should credit, but I've forgotten where I heard it. But he he does it. He does it like from the top part of his throat. He like clips his voice a bit, so mm. it doesn't sound like him. It's not his voice. He's doing a voice. Is that what you mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That is what I mean. Acting. He's doing voice acting. Oh! It's voice acting. This is great. We've covered face acting.
0: We're doing voice acting this week.
1: I think that's... Is there any more? Body acting. There's body acting. Uh,
0: Joss Whedon says about uh, James Gunn uh, and Rocket. he goes, he loves the raccoon, needs the raccoon. He has a very twisted take on it, but it all comes from a real love for the material. It's going to be hard for the human characters to keep up. Rocket gets more hero moments in this film than any other character.
2: Well, Gunn said to me uh, that day, he said, it's very important that it's not the Avengers with Bugs Bunny at the centre. It's important that Rocket is a real creature. I love him. He's the heart of the movie. He's most representative of the Guardians in the fact that he's this little mangled beast that was taken experimented on, torn apart and put back together. We have to feel that character's soul. If we feel that character's soul and we know him and we love him, he's got to be funny, which he is, but he's got to be somebody that we really love and care and love about and love, sorry, and see why he's such an angry little guy. Then the movie will work. And I think that's true. Because, and that's what I sort of came away that day thinking that this could be so ridiculous yeah. that this movie might not work but
0: if it does work then you've got us all and they credit uh, Sean Gunn uh, James Gunn's brother for being on set and playing Rocket on set which mm. really helped the actors relate that to was a weird him. thing to
2: watch him in an all green all in one just crawling around the floor <laughs> shouting at everyone it was bizarre and, and a guy on stilts being so they've got the eye line for Groot as well it was a very strange thing watching them shoot that film <laughs>
0: um and also, when you give him Rocket great lines, like when he goes to Groot, he says to Groot to put, uh, he goes, uh, put him in the bag. And then Groot puts Gamora in the bag. He goes, not her, learn genders, man. <laughs> <laughs> Very good. Um, and then we get that famous bit from the trailer. Now, if you're ever struggling to introduce uh, a lot of cast to uh, an audience what better way than have them line up as criminals and get John C. Riley to basically read the character bios <laughs> yeah. from the production notes <laughs> yeah playing battle exposition
1: <laughs> but, it, but it worked. It it's the sort of thing I should be like uh, no you can't do that but I was like yeah it's great it's really funny I'm I glad don't... they
2: cut it that scene goes on way too long on there when you watch the, the deleted extended scenes yeah uh, and they got it just right in this version um,
0: so they're sent to uh, the kiln uh, which I think we need to spend a bit of time on because this whole sequence is just a brilliant sequence in terms of dialogue, action, character development. It's wonderful. cameos, cameos. We got, we got some cameos. Uh, we should start with a very clever line as they're walking into the kiln because they come from Novacore, Xander, uh, Xander, uh, and Novacore are the good cops, like the you know. Uh, John C. Reilly, uh, Peter Serafinowicz, they're good guys. But as they're walking into the kiln, Rocket has a line which says, I guess most of Novacore want to uphold the law, but the ones here are corrupt and cruel, which basically goes, we now have a license to kill a lot of people <laughs> in this sequence because we've established that these ones, even though they're the same, mm, are, bad. are bad ones, which is great because you're like, bring on the violence.
2: Uh, and there's lots of character work done very quickly. We, we find out that um, Gamora is betraying Ronan. You find uh, it very quickly. <laughs> she,
1: she's not. she's not going to keep that a secret at all, which I find odd. You well, they'd they
2: established mean? that in a deleted scene actually. So yeah. they had to. So there's a scene where Gamora kills all the Sakaarans on her mission. Um, so we know she is betraying Ronan from the off, so that I guess they they cut that scene, so they needed her to say it in a line. But we've
0: also we see Rocket's scars, which is really yeah. effective. The bit where and again music plays such a big part, and it's the song that's playing over it. But when you see his shaved back and like mm. the genetic enhancements, and Peter Quill just sort of looks at him, and it's, it's really powerful. Yeah. Um, we also uh, get uh, because it's a prison. There's always uh, the big daddy. In the prison. Hmm. And we get that alien who goes, check out the new meats. I'm going to slather you in Gnabi and jelly and go to town. Sexy. <laughs>
2: is that the Nathan Fillion <clears throat> cameo? Uh, I think so. Yep. I know.
0: I think it might be. He's a big blue guy. Yeah, So
2: that's Nathan Fillion, who's in all of James Gunn's movies. And there's also a cameo in this scene. One of the prisoners, a human, is Lloyd Kaufman of Troma fame. He made The Toxic oh, Avenger. Okay. He produced all those movies. And Lloyd Kaufman paid James Gunn $150 uh, to write Tromeo and Juliet, which was James Gunn's first gig in Hollywood. And he said he learned everything he knows about filmmaking from Lloyd and Troma and so
0: mm. paid it back. Mm. <laughs> uh, and you mentioned Drax already. Dave Batista this was a revelation to me because you sort of go, I'd not seen Dave Batista in a movie before this. I was aware he was a wrestler. I'm not massively into the WWE, but I remember he was a big wrestler in that. And from the minute he appears, you're like, this is the funniest performance. It's
1: very, very funny. In the film. Yeah.
0: Why would I run? Why would I put my finger on his throat? It's just like, because you're just not expecting it at that point. That's his first, the first thing that he says that is really funny. And, I want to give a special mention to a, a guy called uh, Lexus Rodney, who plays Molka Dar, who, if, if Drax is the funniest character in Guardians of the Galaxy, the funniest line is where Drax goes, I'm keeping the knife. And the alien next to him, Malka Dar, goes, that was my favourite knife. <laughs> I don't know why but that line just kills me every time.
2: <laughs> I want to do a shout out as well to Spencer Wilding who plays the mean guard in this film. He's the guy that takes Peter Quill's personal stereo. Yeah. yeah. Um and there's a deleted scene which on the on the Blu-ray James Gunn says he really regrets taking it out where he is Uh, Puts on the personal stereo and dances around the prison. Whoa, whoa, whoa! It's magic, (laughs) and it's very, very funny. And I do think they
0: should have kept that in. What's funny is he's walking along, being all like happy, listening to the song, and then there's a prisoner just sitting by him, just goes, "Hoo!" (laughs) The prisoner, (laughs) and then just walks on dancing.
2: (laughs) And Spencer Wilding went on to play Darth Vader in Rogue One.
0: Oh, Mm -hmm. did not know that. Uh, Yeah. yeah. uh, and action junkies uh, like myself who just love it when the shooting begins. Mm. The bit where Rocket catches a gun, Drex throws and just starts blowing the shit out of everything. But it's so
1: strange because you're watching it, you're like, well, this is really exciting. But it's a CGI raccoon mm-hmm. and oh, a, a CGI tree. tree. It's ridiculous, yeah. but they, the humans don't quite pull it off as well as those the Dorset do. It's the
2: money shot. And yeah. sometimes with these with these big movies, they'll invite press to come and see not the film early, but see scenes early when it's not finished. And I think I got invited to see that scene twice. And I went <laughs> both times because it does give you a great flavour of the film. But obviously they thought this is this is the scene that's going to be at the front of our trailers. This is the scene that's going to sell this movie and this tone
0: and, and what this is. Mm. Uh, uh, more great tracks. Uh, nothing goes over my head. My reflexes are too fast. Friendly, I would catch right? it. Yeah. It's so good. It's good. This whole establishing of him as someone who metaphors don't work on mm. yeah. is just a great.
1: But do you not feel that? So Gamora, mm. she, I feel a bit cheated by her characterization because she is funny mm. and she's uh, hard as nails and merciless and all the rest of it. And so her arc is that she's going to thaw a little bit. But they, they've given a, a similar uh, mode of address, a similar register to Drax. So she doesn't get certain things that Peter says and she takes things a little bit literally. Hmm. So she doesn't have a comic line that's as clear as Drax's. There's a little bit of, in, um, not interplay, they, there's a bit of repetition and that's a shame.
0: Not just with Drax as well. It's interesting you mentioned that because there's a scene, like the money shot later on when they're all dressed up uh, in their red gear for the first time and they're doing a slow-mo walk yeah. towards camera. And it's Gamora. Like, it's a sort of like, they're going to workshop and Gamora yawns in it. But also... Rocket could have done the yawn as well. Like it does. Yeah. There's a crossover there. Like she's not really established as the one who's sort of like over Over all this.
2: But in terms of uh, Batista's character, he he certainly said that he's had lots of autistic children come up to him and say how helpful that character has been in that they feel like they see themselves on screen a little bit in him, which I think is a really Mm -hmm. unexpected. I don't think he was expecting that when he played Mm -hmm. that role. So that's really sweet byproduct of this film.
0: Uh, And the big blue alien, uh, again, we have a repeat of him where he's listening to the Rupert Holmes song, Escape, in brackets, the Pina Colada song. (laughs) Uh, Then he gets knocked the fuck out. Uh, By August 2014, after this movie was released, the uh, album... Quill's mixtape, the album, had reached the top of the Billboard 200 chart, and it became the first soundtrack album in history consisting entirely of previously released songs to make it to the top of the chart.
2: There were even some. There was even some business in the cassette market. They released uh, the mixtape as a cassette, and it sold a shit ton.
1: <laughs> How are people playing them? Like, what are they doing just? Putting
0: them on the shelf, I suppose. Looks nice. Yeah. They had to build the Walkman for
2: this
1: movie.
0: No, they did in the movie. They couldn't get they couldn't get they couldn't get enough of the same make of Walkman because they needed so they needed more than one. Okay. And so they had to actually build one from scratch. Good fact. Thanks. Thanks. Uh, And so yeah, that's pretty much the kiln scene. Just an epic, an epic scene. Probably my favourite sequence in the movie. Spoiler alert (laughs) for later. Um. That plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness.
1: Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST.
0: Now I'm going to fast forward, because that was a break, to uh, the nowhere scene. Um, I don't know if I've mentioned I was on set for this scene. Oh, really? It's great, though. Like this giant floating decapitated head of a celestial being
1: yeah but I think that's why it works because the thing in itself is interesting because I'm always like when there's a caption I'm like oh that's not very good is it like you could have done better but obviously you're in space but then when we watched Aquaman (coughs) excuse me and they go to Atlantis Mm. caption Atlantis And it's really boring. And it's like, here's Atlantis and here's the history. And it's like, oh, God, boring. (laughs) But then with this, Zoe Saldana's like, this is nowhere and this is this. And I was like, wow, that's great. And it's it's exactly the same thing. So why does it work? And I think it's because the idea of this giant head Mm. with... Uh, fluid yeah they're and, but, but mining, the, mining
2: the spinal fluid yeah that's amazing yeah, there's organic matter in yeah. the skull and so it's yeah, distracting
1: fact, enough yeah it's, it's,
2: it's the severed head of an ancient celestial being brilliant rather than go Yawn, you and you're
0: fuck what, yes. <laughs> <Brilliant>. what? <laughs> why was something that big in space yeah I
1: can think that yeah uh,
0: and we get a little more of Rocket um, his history and how unhappy he is uh, literally the line that you said earlier that James Gunn talks about in your interview with him, he says, uh, I didn't ask to be torn apart and put back together over and over again. Um, we also get a wonderful moment uh, where Gamora describes Quill's advances as pelvic sorcery.
1: That's what I mean, but that's like a Jacks line, a little bit. Do you know what I think? Yeah, I see what like, you she mean. She doesn't get what's going on. Yeah. Um, and also, this is back a scene, but this is a weird thing about Peter. I love Peter Quill, but This idea that he's quite a a natural ladies man, I didn't buy that because just because of the way Chris Pratt looks like he looks too cute. And I don't mean cute as in like cute. I mean, like a baby cute. Like he looks really sweet. But she says to him, your spaceship or something is filthy. And he's like, yeah, yeah. If I had a black light, it would look like a Jackson Pollock painting. (laughs) That's So I was like, so splashes of what? Of semen? Yeah. Mm. That's gross. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, so, what you've just been well, spraying al- the walls.
0: Also, what does it mean? What does it mean? Does it mean that you're masturbating a lot? Yeah. Or yep. you're using the pull-out method, or you're like uh, aliens are secreting some kind of fluid? What as, does it As mean? they orgasm? It's troubling. That yeah, line. It's really,
1: and it doesn't sit well. <laughs> no.
0: No, I, I won't spoil you by uh, a bit when we get to uh, the bits, but uh, we'll be talking about that. Uh, Benicio del Toro turns up. Uh, Benicio del toro wing over everything yes <laughs> so good as the collector it works better here than it did in Star Wars Yeah,
1: uh... yeah I don't know it's fine I, I, I didn't I didn't love it that much no I didn't no, either I, I don't know yeah I it's... like the way he looked like his hair and his weirdness and whatever oh, But
2: I quite like him he didn't need to ham, ham it up as much as he did mm. so he thinks the collector thinks of himself as Noah oh is that right yeah mm. collecting everything all across the universe so that it doesn't disappear but he's just doing it in a, a more violent way than Noah was
0: Yeah, I'm glad you mentioned The Last Jedi um, because it should be mentioned because I think this movie, I think one of the problems with The Last Jedi is that this film exists and (laughs) someone somewhere was too influenced by whether it was the fact they love this movie or the success this movie had. Humour from Guardians of the Galaxy filtered into the Star Wars universe where it fucking didn't belong. Like that whole opening sequence on The Last Jedi Mm. where um, uh, Donald Gleason's character Mm. is talking to Oscar Isaac's character and they do that joke like, can he hear me? Why can't he hear me? He's like, sorry, what did you say? I'm like, great. That's funny if it was Peter Quill in Guardians of the Galaxy. Get that out of Star Wars. It shouldn't be there. Agreed. Sue, so, um, we get the CCP dog based on Leica, who uh, fact fans will know is Cosmo, uh, who's a, a dog from the Marvel universe. I just I looked it up because I was like, is that Leica? And then I was like, oh, comic book fans are going to go nuts with me if I say Leica. So he's called Cosmo.
2: Yeah, when he's talking on on the Blu-ray, James Gunn's talking about the fact that if that Cosmo probably won't be in these films because he says it's too hard to have the CG characters next to a real-life animal and you'd want a real-life animal to be Cosmo and he just said it's too much of a headache so we probably wouldn't bother. Oh, that, really? That's the only cameo he'll get. Are ah. there other cameos, though, in that scene? other characters? Well, I know how the duck comes at oh, the end. Oh, that's
1: so upsetting. Why? I just don't like... That That duck is really fucking scary. It's great. He's Horrible. In,
2: he's in the background there, though. Uh the slugs from Slither are in there. Are they really? <laughs> Have you seen Slither, by yes. the way? Yeah, a really long, good. long time It's a good ago. film. It's
0: great. Future potential clash film. Yeah. Um, just those two I wanted to right. yeah. say. I'd, I'd, I'd happily talk about Slither. I haven't seen it for ages. I, I've got really weird memories of just a very fat woman in a barn. Isn't there a giant woman in a barn who yeah. can't move? Yeah. yeah. great. Okay. I think. Yeah, there is. Yeah, uh, There is. Um... A great little bit from uh, Rocket and Groot's relationship where the explosion goes off. I never really liked the bit where his helper grabs the Infinity Stone because she's had enough. It strikes me as mm, suicide bomb. Yeah, it was, Karina. Bit, it was just forced in. It was like, we need things to explode here and a reason for them to leave nowhere.
1: And for them to understand the power of it. I guess so, that. yeah. It's so they know you can't touch it. That's all it is. It's not, and they need an explosion, but they need to see someone disposable touch it so I guess, that she can yeah. blow up. So that then when Peter grabs it, you think he's going to die.
0: Good, good call. That's why it's there. Yeah. Uh, but group picking up Rocket and running with him away from the explosion is so touching. It's just another really nice moment. Uh, and then Rocket, uh, when Drax has called Ronan down and nearly killed everyone, Rocket's, uh, and Drax is talking about his dead wife and his dead child. And Rocket actually goes, boo-hoo-hoo, <laughs> my wife and child. Everybody's got dead people. It doesn't give you the excuse to get everybody else dead too. <laughs> Fucking brilliant! Like you can't. It's like Groot's face when he's like, "What?" <laughs> Such a good line. Uh, and then we get more emotion. This is where I've I got a bit tearful when Quill rescues Gamora out in space, and yeah, you think he's going to die. It not, yeah, it's beautiful.
2: They mm.
1: don't quite seem like a couple that should be together. Like I don't. I get it. Mm. But so then he rescues her, and then they like as they do throughout this whole script serious moment undercut it in the nicest possible way with comedy
2: so yeah. that's and they, fine and they don't get together yeah. no
1: because they but you don't when they, when they're on the floor together you and like you know as a rom-com fan I'm not like oh my god they got a kiss <laughs> I'm just like oh okay cool So like,
0: you mean the bit where they're back inside and he goes I, f- I found something inside myself yeah really heroic
1: (laughs) and she's like "Right, fine fuck this which is it's really funny but I didn't feel like oh that was my kiss and I'm cheated from that kiss and I can't wait to see that later it just wasn't really And
2: Ronan nearly becomes interesting here because we realise he's double crossing Thanos Mm. when he realised there's an infinity stone in the orb but because we don't know who Thanos is really yet it's not as interesting
0: as it is in hindsight yeah No, uh, what is interesting is uh, Finchie from The Office is piloting the ship.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Oh, yeah, that's who he is!
0: Yes! I like that. Yes, Uh, I like that as well. (laughs) uh, And if you ever, I mean, it's been done now by James Gunn, so you can never use it, but what a great song. uh, for uh, Let's get ready to fuck shut up montage. Cherry Bomb, The Runaways. So good. So good. Also, there is a four-minute, and I find this scene amazing, just before they uh, head to Xandar, there's an amazing scene which is literally just a four-minute chat between all the Guardians sitting in a circle, bickering about whether Quill has a plan or not and what percentage of the plan <laughs> he has and whether 12% constitutes a plan. And I was watching that scene, and it, it, in a film that is very kinetic, it really slows down at that point, and they just all talk, and you realize how well acted these roles are, and how well written these roles are. That you are happy just to sit in the company of these yep. characters with no, not no external force coming in, just listening to them bickering together. Yeah, that's why this is I, like the Guardians are the best thing in the Marvel universe. They
2: had eleven and a half hours of footage of that scene.
1: Eleven and a half hours. Yeah,
2: of them just shooting the shit with each other. Okay, while they were figuring out what to use. I, I watch quite a lot of that not 11 and a half hours but uh, <laughs> 11
0: and a half they like, sat there for 11 and a half hours talking probably not in one go They're Right? Probably, they shoot films over yeah, you know, I a series
2: of days But well, you know that <laughs> because you're on set <laughs> yeah. so, all
1: the
0: time so, yeah. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I mean I dodged a bullet not being on set that day <laughs> <laughs> so we're getting into the final battle now Xandar uh, I'll just select my best moments if you've got best moments from this final battle I'd love to hear them uh, the best moments are Drax laughing hysterically as the Milano crashes inside the Dark Aster. Brilliant.
3: Mm-hmm. Uh,
0: Drax talking about how much he loves his teammates. You mentioned this earlier. Quill, you are my friend. This dumb tree is my friend. <laughs> this green whore. You have to stop. That's <laughs> great. <laughs> Any more for anyone?
1: Uh, later on uh, you know the net that the ships make when, when Peter Serafinowicz dies mm. isn't that weird that's a weirdly powerful moment it is mm-hmm. because he asks the, he asks Rocket for help and before he's been quite dismissive I don't know what he's called him but he's been rude about him being a raccoon Yeah, and then it's him that he asks for help but it's gone.
2: I hadn't really clocked it until this watch with James Gunn telling me in the commentary. But I, it's um, space invaders they were trying to recreate.
1: Uh, you didn't really clock
2: it if James Gunn told you. Mm. What do you mean? It's James Gunn told you. <laughs> <I> told
0: you. <laughs> okay, cool.
2: Uh, so I like I like that fact that I hadn't really noticed before. I, I still don't know how the Dark Aster flies
0: though.
1: Just through space, and, uh, space stuff, uh, space evil. Yeah,
0: I mean, I don't know how the.
1: Oh no, but that's cool though. You're right. So. The reason I like scenes like that, so you've got those minions, not literally, not actually the minions, you know, like people that work on the ship. Uh, they don't have the language. Um, and they're spinning their hands around, aren't they, to make it drive? Yeah. That's correct. Stuff like that. I love shit like that because that's why Flash Gordon doesn't quite do this because you're on an, you're in an alien civilization and an alien planet. So why would they necessarily have engines with pistons and petrol and accelerant and whatever else? Why not? It's some sort of energetic force that you manipulate with your hands. Awesome. Yeah. Love stuff like that.
0: Yeah, I agree. Good. I like purple orbs.
2: Yeah, (laughs) yeah. yeah. Uh, I enjoy Groot fucking everyone up with his long branches,
1: turning into a wicker basket.
2: Is Um, that not what you mean? No, no. When uh, he kills everybody, yeah, yeah, and then
1: shakes the people. Yeah, Yeah, that's
0: very effective. Uh, We finally we haven't mentioned Michael Rooker as Yondu, who is. Fucking fantastic and even better, uh, he's his character and what happens in volume two, and his funeral. Mm-hmm.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Spoiler, sorry. Uh, but finally getting to see his arrow in action because we've seen it teased like about three times. I do love so that far. scene
1: and I've watched that. That's the one scene I've gone back and watched again because it's so much fun. Mm-hmm. But are those people just waiting to get a magic arrow <laughs> through the head. It's fucking brilliant and he does the whistle. But there is quite a long time for them to just go... Oh, I'm just going to duck my head and then.
0: I might shoot you.
1: Yeah, (laughs) yeah. I probably should shoot you with this gun I'll probably shoot you well.
0: Well, once I've seen the arrow go through the guy at the front. And and the 10 more. I'm at the back and he's got a few guys to go through with the arrow. (laughs) I could raise my gun (laughs) and shoot at him. Yeah. which would probably stop me dying. But
1: that's the thing with this film. That is, the logic doesn't make any sense, but I would watch that scene again because mm. it's brilliant. It seems to be
0: based on him whistling. So if I shoot him, he won't be able to whistle.
2: He's got
1: a great whistle on him.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Gunn
2: says that's his Sergio Leone spaghetti western scene. And, and the music there is interesting. And actually the music's interesting for the whole film. Tyler Bates does the score, and then obviously you've got this very famous soundtrack. And you don't normally get this luxury on movies, but the, the score was written in advance. The songs were picked out in advance and all of them were being played in the scenes they were going to feature. So all the actors had the score playing behind them while they were shooting the scenes, Mm. which is
0: what Leone and Morricone used to do. Mm. I remember reading an interview with Johnny Depp years ago where he was talking about how he'd have a tiny little um, earpiece in. And for scenes, he'd have songs playing that weren't uh, like in the scene for the movie, but just to help him perform in that scene in a certain way. He'd, like, he'd use music to infuse his performance.
1: Was it songs where his dialogue was included <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> for the film he was in? It's such a weird thing
2: to do. I don't know how to remember, the, remember my dialogue when I've got a song in my ears yeah. as well. well.
1: I
0: was reading an interview with Stephen King or maybe it was actually, no, it might have been in his book uh, on writing, Stephen King on writing, where he talks about writing to hard rock and thrash no. thrash Was it thrash metal? No, I think it's hard rock. He says... He listens to hard rock when he's writing. And I was like, well, if Stephen King does that, yeah. I shall try that. I can't do this. It's no. just, uh, it's so
2: distracting. A friend, a friend of mine, Cargill, wrote Doctor Strange. And so I asked him, I'm trying to write some action scenes at the moment, if he's got any advice. And that's what he said was to put on heavy metal. And I, and I couldn't do it. I no. tried it and I couldn't. So it's got to be classical music of scores. It's got to
1: be c- a complete silence. You're mm. mad. Like, I, tried, I tried doing it with like Radio 4. It's like just background, just the world. Can't get anything done.
0: I like music scores.
1: No, I need to be in a vacuum.
0: I'm with Vicky on this one. Not well, that it's a competition, but I, I need absolute silence, mm. which is why, you know, if Nettie comes up and distracts me I'm like, flu on you! <laughs> Go to bed! You've got the flu. <laughs> um, and Then we have uh, uh, the bit that you touched on, Victoria. Uh, Groot saves them. He puts them in a wicker cocoon um, to save them as the dark aster is crashing, even though... He knows he's going to die. It's a protective bush. As a- and who doesn't like a protective bush? Do not lower the tone. We're talking about Guardians of the Galaxy. This is a very, very personal movie to me as I was on set (laughs) (laughs) I don't think James Gunn would like you making bush jokes Uh, the music's
2: lovely in that scene though I will say the music's lovely in that scene and I think Zoe Saldana really sells it as well when she you sort of see her her realising that this is going to kill Groot It's, it's very moving Yeah,
0: I need things painted in black and white so it's when Rocket goes, but you'll die. Yes. That got me.
1: (laughs) Just for the people at the back, he's going to die. (laughs) I was like,
0: I can't read Gamora's face. What is that emotion? What's happening? (laughs) He's going to die. You're going to die. Oh, God. Then uh, we get the bit that jarred with me. The first time I saw this, the bit on the ground when Ronan appears from the Dark Aster and the dance-off. I remember watching this and going, Oh, I don't like this. It felt like the oddball sort of like left field humor had gone too far, and yeah. you've got this big climactic scene, and Ronan's arrived, and he goes, "I'm doing a dance off." Yeah, I, I was. I didn't. I, the first time I saw it, I didn't like it. I've grown to love it mm. with repeated viewings. Uh, If only because I I now can't get away from the line. I'm distracting you, you big turd blossom. (laughs) But initially, I was not. I'm going to agree with you on that because I I remember the first couple
2: times I watched this, and I've seen it a few times as well. Is thinking that I didn't really like the ending, but then I sort of think, well, what? How else would I have ended this? Like Mm. this is the right ending for this film. You've got the spectacular space battle, but you want this scene that's on the ground, that's very grounded, that's basically taking the piss. Mm.
1: Um, well, I, I don't just think guess you... you do. Like, I love it, but I agree with both of you. The first time, I was like, "Oh, come on!" Like, I and mean, I love to watch him dance. All really funny. But your classic structure there is he's learned something on his journey as a person that he then uses against all odds and has to sort of, it's the take, which is such a stupid arc, but it's the take my hand moment. So by taking someone's hand, that's what saves the day. Mm. And maybe it's just the way it's directed, but a lot of weight is given to the dancer of the mm. thing. So it feels like a dramatic moment, but it's not. So I don't know if maybe it's just that sort of disconnection between mm. the two things.
0: We're going to get onto that because in a, in a second, because we've pretty much finished going through uh, most of the movie. Now uh, we end on uh, Marvin Gaye's "Ain't No Mountain High Enough" into the Jackson Five "I Want You Back," an expensive thirty seconds of music, but brilliant, uh, great. The well, movie- he said, he said, uh, uh,
2: Gun says that he was cheating there. Basically, you want everyone to leave the cinema with a certain kind of feeling,
0: yeah. and yeah. by using that
2: song, yeah, <laughs> you, you it does it. the job for yeah. you. <laughs> but,
0: uh, throughout this movie, there are moments which I, uh, the music. Just it dials it up. I don't know whether it's true, and I know, uh, uh, but well, not whether it's true, but I think part it wasn't part of the reason. And I may, I, I don't, I don't know for sure, so I might be wrong. But wasn't Edgar right? One of the problems with Ant Man was the fact that he wanted to use music as a uh, cue uh, for a lot of the action in that, as he does to amazing effect in Baby Driver much mm. later. But that was one of the the sticking points with Marvel, which is that they said, no, you've got to have a score. Uh, you can't just use music, um, in a, and then to sort of see this and sort of go, well, <laughs> yeah, you can. But it's because of the Walkman sequence, it's because of the Walkman, uh, that MacGuffin, uh, that allows them to use music. So there is a reason for it, and I don't think they would have let him use that if they hadn't come up with this Walkman idea. Mm. I like the
2: moment when uh, Yondu takes the orb of Peter, because when you watch it the second time, you can kind of see in Michael Rooker's acting in his face that he knows that the the Infinity Stone isn't in there yeah
1: I only got that the second time yeah. and he's doing it to save face and he's yeah. proud of him and stuff yeah like it's yeah. really lovely and, yeah. and
2: that you know that becomes more clear in the second film as well how much he loves him but uh, I like that little one I do wonder if there are too many endings here though we do seem to get a lot of yeah. that you know the, that's Lord of the Rings style sort of maybe 10 scenes of this moment that every character gets a little moment and it does go on a while I guess it's good that I like these characters because I don't mind it so much but we spend a lot of time
0: saying goodbye to everyone and mm, Yeah. I am, I've never I've never felt that. And I also like but then I like the duck, how the duck in the post credit sequence.
1: There's something about it that just really upset me. Yeah,
0: because it looks dirty. It looks like a dirty yeah, that is exactly grubby. That's live, the problem. like physically
1: dirty, yeah, yeah. but also dirty. But I
0: think it's meant to be covered in the, the smoke from the explosion, but you just sort of go, but will you ever clean? Yeah, you look like that anyway. Yeah. But you've got here's the here's the Milano, we've rebuilt
2: the spaceship, here's John C. Riley with his family. There's two scenes with Yondu. Uh, we got the scene with Gamora where the music comes on, Marvin Gaye comes on, and the character who said that they wouldn't dance moves just a tiny she bit. She moves
1: a little bit, yeah, which is correct.
0: Yeah. Don't know why she's wearing a skirt in that scene. We haven't seen her in a skirt up until the very end.
1: A strange uh, thing to say. Well, I just it, sort of, she never struck oh, me as a shit. skirt. Sk- You've
0: got a backup. <laughs> <laughs> I, I. just She never struck me as someone who wears. Right <laughs> I felt the atmosphere change. <laughs> oh Jesus Christ! Really, look, what the fuck are you talking about? Fifty-five minutes in, I think we nearly got through it. We got through it, and then nothing. I think I. I, I don't think that actually. You think she's a
1: skirt person. I
0: thought she's. I just was surprised See, because she's always fighting. and You can't fight in a tiny little skirt. Can you? can you I don't know <laughs> I've never been able to on Halloween <laughs> and I've got into fights on Halloween anyway I would
1: love to see you in a fight <laughs> on the tube <laughs> on Halloween <laughs> pissed
0: Um So, you'll find, uh, I think, this more interesting than whether Gamora should or shouldn't be in a skirt. Yeah. There's an amazing article in the LA Times uh, by a guy called Steven Zeichik. Have you seen this? No. He basically uh, uses Guardians of the Galaxy as an example of post-plot cinema. Okay. He said that he attended a screening of the film and realised about 30 minutes in that it had no clear discernible plot, but rather just a collection of events that happened He says he doubts that any of the characters in the film could explain precisely what was happening or why they were doing what they were doing. But more importantly, he said that he's not sure we're supposed to be able to explain it. The way the film is structured, coherence of any kind, why people are literally doing what they're doing or what the plausible psychological explanations are for what they're doing seem to be beside the point. It seems to be less of a question of whether Guardians make sense And more that it doesn't matter if it does.
1: Yeah, that's a good point.
0: And when I read that and thinking back to Guardians of the Galaxy, you're like, shit, I've just watched a movie and I'm totally happy. Like, I love this movie, despite the fact that I think he's right. And it really is just a collection of events. And when I was talking about the scene where they're just bantering in a circle, I'm like, could happily watch that. I don't need an arc. He goes on to say... Most traditional narrative storytelling, and this is the bit that you touched on earlier, V. Most traditional narrative storytelling is about characters changing or at least revealing more of who they are. How do we see Quill change over the course of Guardians? What do we learn about him that we don't already know? And why does this man become worthy of the title Guardian of the Galaxy beyond simple plot logistics?
2: Yeah, well, he learns to stop being selfish and to, sa- to sacrifice himself for the sake of <clears throat> the family
0: that he's found. Mm. But I touched on this... That's growth. I see, but uh, the bit at the start that you sort of... The bit at the start where he won't reach for his mum's hand sort of seems to be referenced at the end where he does reach for Gamora's hand. But by that point, that should be like your big,
1: whoa, Yeah,
0: he's grabbed her hand, the thing he couldn't do at the start. That's the conclusion of his arc. And you're like... Like, you, you don't get the big hit from that. You're getting hits from other things. You're getting hits from Groot dying. Mm. You're getting hits from all over the place. But the big one, your main character, finally grabbing someone's hand. I'm like... Because they're but-
1: setting up that he's scared of intimacy or very um, fraught emotional situations. So that scene with his mum, just two, and he's only a child, so it's fair enough. Mm. So he's scared of that. And then that is... Um, sort of strengthened by this idea that he doesn't remember the names of the women he slept with he's still a great guy and all the rest of it but he doesn't know their names he's because, selfish prick yeah but he's not connecting with them or blah 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 whatever but then he has that big moment where he rescues Gamora in space and will potentially die or has to you know he puts um, he what does he do he summons Yondu to come and get him and mm-hmm. he knows that he's going to be in the ship for that so that's his big moment there because Rocky can't believe that he's doing it and he's going to do it anyway for whatever reason so he's already grown like that which means when he does take her hand, it's like well, of course you're going to take her hand. You just risked your life to save her, so of course you are. So it doesn't have the same punch. Yeah, I'm. I'm
2: just saying it is there if you look. If you look for it, uh, equally, I agree with what that gentleman is saying. Um, it's just it feels like fast food cinema, yeah. really, um, without much depth. Um, and I think you could. Th- throw that a lot of blockbusters these days that really we're just running
0: around chasing a macguffin for no discernible (laughs) reason and yet i i I guess i I, my thing is why do i cry so much at them then if there's if 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 this is just existing on a superficial level of going here there's an emotional hit point and it works uh, does that make me
1: oh well it's the music as well though i Mm. think it is is. it is
2: i think the underlying theme about family is moving as well, about all these outsiders finding
0: each other. Yeah, and I think that's what I like. I think it's the fact that they're outcasts and, you know, they've brought together, they become something more than they were individually. Yeah. Beautiful. It is beautiful. It's bloody beautiful. Uh, any more for any more, or shall we do the bits? Let's do it. Let's do the bits. Uh, best scene, Chris? Um, That scene that you talked about, about with them
2: all talking, I'm very tempted to pick that because... Uh, I think it it does restate the themes of the film and I think it takes balls to have your characters sit around and just shoot the shit. But it it's really funny, very entertaining and I could watch a whole film of that, I think. But I'm not going to pick it. I'm going to pick Baby Groot dancing at the end because <laughs> I remember, you know, the first time seeing that in a cinema with an audience and it brought the house down yeah. and it sends you out of the cinema so happy. Uh, so that's my thing.
0: I'm really pleased. James Gunn says it was a cheat using I Want You Back yes, uh, because it is and you watch it and anyone watching it is going to go well it's cheating because it's that song but good I'm glad he knows that B.
1: Um, Breaking Out of the Kiln because the way that it's but it starts on a joke. So when Rocket's talking to whoever he's talking to about stealing the battery, and he's like, but we don't do it now. And then obviously Grooves, <laughs> and that's really funny, I think. Um, and you you know, you're seeing the gang working together. It was only marred by the, the prison guards have got this rocket launcher and he's like, on my mark, Five. And it's like, <laughs> why not now?
3: <laughs>
1: but that's a minor thing. As a set piece, it's brilliant. It is.
0: There's another minor thing that I have in that scene when he turns off the gravity and all the guards start floating up and they are still in the launch tower, the guardians, and they're not floating. You, I mean, anyone can work <laughs> out what's happened. What you don't need is Gamora to say the line he's turned <laughs> off the gravity. <laughs> And if you're gonna have her say that, then you don't need to then say everywhere but mm. in here.
1: Not in here. You're like, Oh really? Really fucking genius. <laughs> well, because we're not floating.
0: Yep. So that line bothered me a little bit. Uh mine is Groot Sacrifice. Uh the bit where he mm. he dies. And I don't know whether I like this or not, but when I was researching at this time, I found out that he actually is dead. He is dead, Yep. Yeah, like the new Groot. I always assumed that I that was, it was
1: like regenerate. Yes, yeah.
0: yeah, but James Gunn has gone on record. Uh, I think in response to a lot of people go Marvel just bring, just keep bringing their characters back from the dead, and that's stupid. And he's gone. Well, the Groot uh, in Volume Two is a new Groot. He has none of the memories of the old Groot. He's a, a new Groot.
1: I get that, but if it takes him to say it, then maybe it's not obvious, and maybe the fans have got a point. because oh, yeah, you can't go, uh, uh, Yeah, but he is though.
0: Mm. <laughs> yeah. I think he said that. I think he says it's not obvious but it is yeah, more so He had to go on record too. because it was unclear. Yeah. I think he felt...
1: Alright, MVWV. The soundtrack.
0: Chris.
2: Uh, MVW, most or whatever. Um, two unsung heroes we've already mentioned. I just want to shout out to Nicole Perman. Uh, I spoke about her earlier. And Sean Gunn. Watching him walk on his haunches playing Rocket, he put his heart and soul into that role and no one will ever see it. Mm. Mm. Uh, but I'm going for James Gunn. Um, He said, uh, when I turned in my first draft, they were really happy with the screenplay, which, of course, I was overjoyed by. The only comment they had, which was basically from Joss Whedon, was that they wanted it to be more James Gunn. And so that's what I did. I said, it's your funeral, and I made it a lot more James (laughs) Gunn. And I do think, you know, having watched his back catalogue of films, that the fun, the weird, the stuff that makes Guardians special is coming from his brain. So I'm going James Gunn.
0: Agreed. And it's so good that he's going to be... Coming back for volume three. That was a very scary time. Yeah. And he was uh, the outcast. And DC's lucky, I think. Uh, I can't (laughs) wait for that Suicide Squad film now. Be really interesting. Mm. Be really interesting. Um, Yeah, uh, yeah, he's great. Uh, Well, I'm just going to quickly do mine because you know what mine is. It's Rocket. Rocket Raccoon is the greatest character in the whole of the Marvel Cinematic Universe full stop forever. Uh, What would you change, Chris? (laughs) Uh, Shitty villain.
2: I'd rewrite him. I'd give him... I'd just give him something um and i would recast him uh potentially uh and if i could have anyone maybe max von sidow <laughs> <laughs> that would have been a great connection
1: and it would have been yeah <laughs> um, mine is uh, this is quite a micro thing but i just would have i just would have liked to see this So Peter Quill has not unwrapped the present that his dying mum gave to him at this point in the film. And so that's an amazing thing that he hasn't done that because it's been 26 years. So then when he finally does unwrap it, it's just another mixtape. And I wanted it to be something else that progressed the knowledge of their relationship. So I don't know what that thing is. But it could also be tied to she. The card that she wrote to him is really sweet, and obviously, I'm crying my eyes out. And she says, you know, to me, you're you're or you, you, know, you're my Star Lord, and that's why he's been using that name. Are you going to cry? Are you alright? No, I'm fine. All right, sorry. I'm not sure, actually. <clears throat> all right, sorry. So she calls him Star Lord, but for a mum to call her own son a Lord didn't feel right. You'd call him a Star Prince because he's your baby, right? So she's called him a star prince and the gift is something that's like, but now you're a lord, okay? So I don't know what that is, but it's a thing, it's a token, it's a something that gives him the confidence and the whatever to be like, I've graduated from prince to lord. Oh God, I think I'm going to cry because mm. my mum said so. <sighs> okay, I finished. Everyone all right?
2: You're crying at your own change. <laughs> <laughs> my <laughs> ego knows no limit. You sound like, you sound like his dad.
1: <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs>
2: uh, is everyone crying in this room now? I,
0: I'm not. This is It's an emotional film. Yeah, so that bloke was wrong now.
1: I've uh, changed
2: my mind. That bloke <laughs> can yell at
0: times. Piss off. Uh, my change is, your ship is filthy. You have no idea. If I had a black light, this place would look like a Jackson Pollock painting. I, I, I can't believe I'm saying this because I'm, I'm not a prude like Chris, but... <laughs> That's too much.
1: Nah, yeah. it's no, like, a good line. It's not. But is it semen? It's, because that's really yes, important. Yes, it's semen.
0: Yes, of course
2: it's semen.
1: That's gross. He's blanked right.
2: everywhere.
1: Uh, Why? He's on his own in space. He's on his own in space. That was <laughs> quick. I'm sometimes on my own in
0: my flat. and you know, you Sometimes you're when in you're in, in a the for a fag in the studio.
1: <laughs> <laughs>
0: it does smell funky when we come back in.
1: Uh, <laughs> Jesus! But uh, just the wall, just... Are you it's easier for us.
0: <laughs> <laughs> That's not
2: what I mean. So, uh,
0: it's not that hard. Uh, you, if, we, Chris and I, if Chris was the smoker, it, me and him were, It has to be that hard. Yeah. Um, so uh, Chris Pratt wrote the
2: line about the light and then um, James Gunn liked it so much he took it to one side and said added the Jackson Pollock bit. So that was a combination of the two of them on set that line came from.
1: And no one said, you do (laughs) realise that people think you've been spraying the walls. Yes, that's the joke. It's funny. It doesn't seem like the it though. He seems he's too nice. I think it
0: was Chris Pratt who came up with that great line in uh, Infinity War as well, wasn't it? Or he was definitely part of the uh, thought process when um, they're talking about Gamora and he goes, (laughs) where is Gamora? And... Tony Stark goes, uh, I've got a better question. Who is Gamora? And Drax goes, I've got a better question. Why is Gamora? <laughs> <laughs> I, think, uh, <laughs> I think Chris Pratt had something to do with that as well. All uh, right, then. And uh, that is that time for the verdict. You want answers? I think I'm entitled. You to... want answers? I want the truth! So uh, you picked these movies, Christopher. So uh, you get to decide whose verdict you Ooh, want to hear first. The Power. The Power uh victoria why don't you go first
1: <clears throat> i'll be quick so i think uh i came too late to, pardon, um, to <laughs>
0: sorry yeah, yeah. <laughs> have a longer cigarette
1: <laughs> i'm never late i'm very quick um to not be just confused by it it can be quick you should know oh that. my god right, enough, enough, enough! enough i'm sorry i'm sorry i'm sorry so if this had been my second view in a flesh gordon um I, would, I think I feel really differently about it. So, you know, ask me in 40 years <laughs> and maybe I'll think it's brilliant. So, uh, but right now, I enjoyed Guardians more. It's still really funny. The world building is incredible. Um, and it felt like, and obviously, I believe you two guys were on set at some point. Mm-hmm. To me, it feels like they made a film without worrying too much about what would happen, which that can't be true because of the pressures and the money involved. Well, with that's what with I said it.
0: when I was down there. I was like, James, chill out. Yeah. I mean, I'm part of the press corps. Who call. cares? I'm part of the press corps and we are behind you on <laughs> I'll this. I'll make sure
1: this flies. Just
0: have fun. <laughs> have fun on set.
1: <laughs> Uncle Adam Pretend I'm not here. Fun. Pretend
0: I'm right here. <laughs> pretend I'm right here. <laughs> Just have fun.
1: I've got to make you know a awful.
0: We'll film it. We'll film it. Get quick, Chris. <laughs> Go and do something because oh, we're, we're cool.
1: So yeah, the, the feeling, which must be quite a feat to pull off of it just being like, yeah, fuck it. We're just going to do what we want and we don't care when obviously it must have been completely the opposite mm. in terms of like daily pressure that uh, it gets my vote for that reason.
0: One vote for Guardians of the Galaxy. Do you want me to go next? Yes, please, Alex. Guardians of the Galaxy gets two votes. <laughs> I'm on the winning movie side this week. Oh, that's disappointing. Yeah, back in the game. <laughs> and why, pray tell? <laughs> uh, <Yeah>. Any reason? <laughs> I, I just, um, I, uh, yeah, uh, well, um, I wrote down, I think it's the better film. So there,
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> I, I just, I didn't really, Flesh Gordon, um, is it, it, what I actually wrote was, um, Flesh Gordon is a massive nostalgia hit and it was so great to get that. And normally I always go with the nostalgia hit on this show uh, when I'm voting, I'm voting with like, oh, what, it was like a warm duvet, but The Flash Gordon warm duvet is full of semen and (laughs) like weird sort of phalluses that like have got caught between the cover and the duvet itself like sex toys, and I don't want that duvet on me. When you
1: shake out your duvet (laughs) and all these doodles go (laughs) boing! Just, you know, I'm
3: like... Beads
1: flying everywhere, lube everywhere. That is,
0: that's the Flash Gordon nostalgia duvet. It's full of obscene sex toys, (laughs) like anal beads. And I don't... I don't want that duvet, so therefore I'm, I'm voting with the movie that made me cry like 17 times, which is, you know, the one with Rocket Raccoon in, who's the best character in the I'm MCU. I'm starting to wish I hadn't asked you for the reason <laughs> uh
2: Okay, two zero. Yep. Uh, Guys, so I will give you my verdict very quickly. Um, On the Blu-ray, Brian Blessed compares Flash Gordon to Gone with the Wind and Henry (laughs) V. Sorry. Uh, Michael Hodges calls it a space panto. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But I love the the, the heart and the lack of cynicism in Flash Gordon because we get so many cynical superhero movies these days. And I love how the main character's innate goodness changes everyone around him. I think there's a lot to be said for that. And it does feel like a comic book brought to life on screen Flash Gordon when you look at it the colours and the angles and and the framing and everything Um, but Star Star Lord is a much more interesting hero than Flash but Ming is a much more compelling villain than Ronan so I'm torn here Mm. I'm torn but the fact that Guardians is the better film in pretty much every other respect from the script and the effects the direction everything about it is better uh, it pains me to vote against a childhood favourite but I've got to vote with my head not my heart Wait. Guardians of the Galaxy
0: Whoa. wins 3-0 I'm
1: so surprised I, I thought you would know where you did. I think it's because it's a. I yeah. don't know at the I, end,
0: honestly I'm with Victoria I thought you were going to jump in and go yeah. after her because I thought you were going to go flush Gordon so when you let me pick Guardians you know I was interested I, was, uh, I thought it was interested
2: yeah and I don't know I don't know if I'm agreeing with that guy in the LA Times or not but it's because Flash uh, Guardians of the Galaxy does make me feel something. Like it does seem to be about compassion and about family and about finding your place in the world and about being somewhere that you belong for the first time. And I think there's a, that really means something, whereas Flash Gorn's just a bunch of bollocking about. So, about shagging.
0: Yep. That's anal beads in your duvet. Well, we have a winner this week, and that is Guardians of the Galaxy. <laughs> Congratulations. Uh, that is that uh, lovely stuff. If you disagree, you can always vote in the poll on Twitter at ClashPod when that goes up. But I think we have a winner in Guardians of the Galaxy. I think the poll will agree this time. All right, let's look ahead to next week's shows. It is our first ever Christmas countdown special on ClashPod. I'm excited. What are
2: we counting down? Counting down to, to Christmas. Christmas. Oh, okay.
1: Just a tradition.
2: What do you mean? How do you not know that? Well, we- a countdown, I think, of sort of 30 to 1, kind of like... We li- we did a month of counting I down know. to Halloween. I found it weird when you were doing it then. And you didn't I say. Did a countdown.
0: And you've what? waited until we now. Loved, you, liked it so you let much. me do a month of something you didn't understand,
2: <laughs> and now you're telling me.
0: I just didn't think it worked. All right, yeah, go on. So next week, <laughs> it's our first Christmas countdown show on ClashPod. Victoria is picking our first two Christmas movies. What was the clue, Victoria?
1: The clue is... Christmas is all around me, especially in my Airbnb. (laughs) (laughs) Great.
0: And what are the movies that everyone's going to be watching? next
1: week Chris Mm -hmm. you're watching Christmas is all around me love actually no I'm not yes you are (laughs) no I'm not (laughs) fair enough and you Uh all I will say is sorry you're watching The Holiday
0: (laughs) no I'm not no I'm not no I'm not sorry No, no no I'm not
1: oh dear yeah. Merry
0: Christmas. Merry Christmas. <laughs> Love Actually versus the holiday. That is how we start our Christmas countdown <laughs> <laughs> on Clash Pod. Uh, do your homework. Watch those movies. Get into the Christmas spirit. That will be next week's shows. Uh, in the meantime, you can. Hook up with us. <laughs> oh, dear. Uh, I've got Flash Gordon on the brain. Uh, you can get in touch on Twitter at ClashPod, on Instagram at ClashPod. You can email us, show at ClashPod.com. So many ways to get in touch. Stay in touch and do rate and reviews on Apple, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts. Back for some Christmas fun on Monday. Bye-bye.
3: This was a Stakhanov production and part of the ACAST Creative Network.